0: I literally, sh- I had one email that came in from Chris about something that I, I did return that. But other than that, I left, I just unplugged. And um, it was refreshing. And I never realized how uh, how important that is. But you know what? Life goes on when you're unplugged. And it's better. I know sometimes it's good to be plugged in. You know, people can get a hold of you if they need you. But listen, if I, I had a guy that... I met, we were at the pool, and he was talking to Zach and talking to different people, and he asked me what I did for a living. I told him I was a pastor, and he says, oh, so you're, are you on call? And I said, no, I'm not, because between the people that are home, the staff, and Jesus, if they can't handle it, I can't handle it. So it's good. I'm, they're fine. And But I, I kind of unplugged, and then uh, one night, um, we had the the news was on my Patty's dad and stepmom and then uh, her brother and his family were all there with us. And so they had the news, news on and they saw, I saw this, the tragedy uh, that happened in France. And there's been so many things that have gone on in the world. And I just remember just saying, Lord, there's so much stuff. And I felt like the Lord just really impressed upon me. You know what the answer to all of it is? Prayer. I don't know, this sounds so elementary to me, so I'm not trying to insult you by saying this, but I want to remind you of something that you already know, but I think we know it, but we don't always live like we know it, and that is this, prayer works. It really does. And the more we remember that, the more we'll use it. When we face difficulty, you'd be surprised how many times we just get into the mode of fixing it or trying to fix it or trying to soothe whatever we're feeling. And we forget that the greatest thing we can do is pray. Because prayer invites God on the scene. Prayer says, all right, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need you. I need you to to help me. And I just started thinking about that. On the way home, uh, we had a 13-hour drive home yesterday, and Patty drove uh, 10 of the 13 hours. So my prayer life was up there. I mean, I was praying. Sometimes I'm like, I can touch the license plate in front of us, Patty. Back off, just a, just a hair. Um, but, um, but I was just reading, and I was reading this passage, and I, and I just began to just allow the Lord to just show me. Just show me, Lord, we got, what What are you trying to speak to the church? And this is what I believe, this is the passage you took me to, it's from, I've talked about parts of this passage before, we went through a study on the book of Acts, and I I referenced this, but we're going to look into it a little more in depth. Uh, if you got your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 12, we're going to start reading verse 1 and we'll go through Verse 11. <clears throat> About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, listen to this, The church prayed very earnestly. The church prayed and didn't just pray, but prayed earnestly. That night, before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post, came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said, "The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me." When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary. Well, we we'll we get into that in a minute. So here's the first chapter, the first 11 verses. Here's the story. Peter was arrested. Peter and John, they kill they are James, they killed James. So he's already been martyred for the Lord. And now here's Peter in jail. The, the, the plan probably was for Herod to wait till after the Passover and then, then get rid of Peter. So Peter's in jail knowing what happened to James, knowing that that's probably his future, except for one thing. The church was praying for Peter. The church was praying. I started thinking about the church praying. And there's a, there's a lot of different scriptures that talk about praying and praying earnestly. And, and sometimes we look at prayer and, you know, I've asked people before, so how often do you pray? Oh, I pray pray every day. And if I was to ask you, well, like, what kind of prayer? Well, you know, Lord bless his food, <laughs> about to partake of, be nourishment to my body, you know. But then there's a lot of times when that's the prayer life. That's it. Blessing the food. Stuff like that. But then there's times where we pray, and this is what happens sometimes. We wait until we're in this horrible situation, then the last result is we pray. And I know I've said this, but I've had people that I've talked to um, in my office or even just out, people that know my pastor say, hey, you know, can I talk to you about something? I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with this. And a lot of times I'll ask them, one of the first questions I'll ask them is, have you prayed? Well, I mean, no, but I was just going to kind of want to see what you thought. And I thought, listen, if I'm first, you are missing it. This driveway doesn't always go all the way to the road. You might want to put your hope in somebody better that's got it all together. And that's the Lord. And the Bible says you can come because of Jesus. When Jesus died and rose again, that veil that separated the presence of God from people that was torn in half, and now all of us can go right before the throne of God any we want to. We can pray and connect with God at any time of the day. He's there to, ready to hear you, ready to listen, ready to answer. So we need to pray. Look at these scriptures. We'll go through these real quick. Luke twenty-two forty-four. this is when Jesus is in the garden. And it says, he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. That's intense praying. And I'm not saying you need to go home and try to work up great drops like blood. I'm not saying, like, oh, well, I'm not praying hard enough. Come on, Jesus, please. Not like that. But I mean, it was intense. It was no game. It wasn't just saying a few words, like, oh, please, God, will you help me, whatever. It was intense. It was strong. It was, it was directly just with passion calling out on his father. Let's look at the next scripture. Continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open up, open to us a door for the word to speak mystery, the, the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So here he is again in in Paul saying in Colossians, praying earnestly. Please pray earnestly. Pray, I mean, just go after it. Pray. Let's go to the next one. James 5 says, Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Can you imagine that? How many were, uh, you got rain last night, that storm that come through, we were driving in it. And, you know, I didn't even think. Can you imagine Elijah just saying, all right, God, can you not let it rain? And then three and a half years, doesn't rain? But then listen to this, then when he prayed again, The sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So there was power in in Elisha as a human. He prayed earnestly and he stopped rain for three and a half years or for one and a half years. And then it said that he prayed again and then it started again. That's, That's pretty powerful. That's pretty amazing because he prayed earnestly. And the Bible says that the the fervent, earnest prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It works. I promise you, prayer works. This isn't in your notes, but Ephesians 6, when it's talking about the whole armor of God, around verse 12 or 13, it says that, we, that when we pray, we're not wrestling or fighting against people. It's against the principalities and the power. It's against the evil in the world. That's only conquered by prayer. By prayer, that we pray and we stand in what the word of God says. Because our battle, listen, our battle isn't against people. Our battle isn't against any groups of people. Our battle isn't against any leaders. Our battle is not against, you know, people in authority, governors, mayors, president. That's not our battle. Our battle is on a spiritual level. And we need to pray. Because that's the only thing that's going to make a difference. All right, let's look at this, this passage again. Here's some things that prayer brings. Prayer will bring rest. You know what I find amazing in this passage? Peter is in prison. James was just killed. He knows that's probably coming ahead for him, and he's sleeping. He's resting. The church is praying. It says that. The church is praying earnestly. The next scripture says Peter, while he's in prison, asleep, the, the angel of the Lord comes. What if I was trying to, you know, sometimes it helps me to put myself in the situation. I don't I don't think I would be resting a lot. I think I would be nervous. And you can think, well, you know, when you're really, really tired. Listen, I don't know if you've ever really been, you know, you had one of those moments where you hear some noise. You're staying at a strange place and you hear some. Ree- <sighs> y'all looking at me like I'm the only one. Y'all know. Y'all been there? And you kind of like, is is somebody in there? When I was younger, we had our house broke into. We came home, and everything was pretty much gone, anything worth money, TV, stereos, microwave, clocks, anything, gone. So our house is pretty much empty. And I remember that night when we went to go to bed, I'm laying down, and it hit me, and I thought, how do we know they're gone? Like, what if one of them saw us coming and hiding in the closet or somewhere? And I'm going to tell you, when you're, when you're nervous, you don't sleep. It's amazing how you can stay awake, as tired as you are. And my dad had gone on a mission trip to Honduras, and why he bought his kids machetes, I have no idea, but that's what he thought was a cool souvenir. So I'm laying in bed with a machete. I'm like nine years old. I can barely lift it. And I'm just laying there. And it was difficult. I couldn't sleep. Why? Because I was nervous. I was afraid. But when you connect with God and you pray, you're going to find yourself, in, even in difficult situations, even in the world the way it is right now, and all the stuff going on, you can find rest. You can find peace. The kind of peace that, it says, that, that peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. That kind of peace that it talks about in Philippians is the peace that you can't even believe. How am I at peace? Look what's going on. Why am I still at peace? It's because you've connected with God. And it brings peace. It brings rest. One of the the things I realized on this trip is how important rest is. To just stop and rest. I don't think it's an accident I think there was something intentional about in 1 Samuel 3 when Samuel was resting and he heard God call his name. I've heard people say, man, God never talks to me. Well, you're running and gunning 24-7. When's he supposed to talk? Everything else is happening. Sometimes it's in those quiet moments, those restful moments, that you'll hear God. You'll hear God speak to you in the quiet still places. Be still and know that I am God. In the stillness you'll be aware of the presence of God. Look at the scriptures Psalms 91 Those who live in the shelter of the most high will find rest in the shadow of the almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge. He's my place of safety. And he is my God and I trust him. It's in those moments you can trust in God and you can rest in Him knowing that you're safe. But you're going to do that when you're connected with Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and you're carrying heavy burdens, which means life is just overwhelming for you. And Jesus says, If you would, if you would come to me, spend time with me. And you'll find that I'll take that from you and I'll give you rest. If you're constantly anxious and worrying, fearful, you feel like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders, I just want to tell you God never intended for you to carry all that. He told you, cast all your cares on me because he cares for you. So we need to make sure that we take God at his word. And if he wants us to rest, then let's rest. But the times when you can rest are when you know God's got you. God's got you. Prayer also reminds you that God is with you. It's amazing that the church is praying and Peter has an encounter with an angel of the Lord. Because of prayer, an angel of the Lord shows up and Peter has an encounter. Prayer will remind you what well, you already know and that is that you're not alone. Look at Psalm sixteen, eleven. You will show me the way of life granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. In the New King James it says that it's the joy in his presence there's fullness of joy. When you're spending time with God you're going to be aware of his presence and in his presence there's joy. We you won't make it in this world by yourself you you just won't make it you may barely get by in the sense of you know you'll you'll be around but you won't make it because it's only through him it's only through him the bible says it's in him we live it's in him we move it's in it's in him we have our being everything about us is all connected to who he is Jeremiah 29, 13 says, when you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. When you're connecting with God and you're in his word and you're praying, you know what? You'll find him. You know why? Because he's there waiting on you. He's not playing hide and go seek. He's right there. He's that, remember when you play hide and go seek, there's always that one person who doesn't know where to hide. So when you open your eyes, they're like standing right there. Uh, That's God. He's not hiding. Everybody else might be. But as soon as you look up, you find, oh, there you are. He's right there. As soon as you call on him, he answers you. He's there. And as you pray, you're going to be more more confident and comfortable because you know God is with you. Look at Matthew 28, 20. He's talking to the disciples here, and he says, Teach the new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. So, this is what he's saying. Even in doing this, I want you to be sure of this that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. I'm with you. If you understand that God is with you, it changes everything. Because there's strength in numbers. There's strength when you know. The Bible says one can put a thousand flight to flight, two, ten thousand. Ecclesiastes said a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So there's something about having more than just you. But with you and God, you can do anything. You can do anything. I remember growing up, there was times where, I, listen, I was, I was, uh, I didn't look like this when I was growing up. I was skinny. I mean, I was Skinny. I would get picked on. You know, I would try to act tough, but man, I was skinny. Stick my tongue out, I looked like a zipper. That's how skinny I was. It was boom. And I remember, I remember the times where this one guy, he kept picking on me. And finally, one time, I had a buddy, and he was huge. He said, Let's go talk to him. And I was like, All right. And you know what? I was tough when he was there. But when he wasn't there, I didn't say nothing. But you got a big man beside you? And I go up and I'm like, hey, you better stop playing. You hear me? (laughs) Right? It's all, you're all tough when you know you got somebody strong with you. Can I just tell you everything that the enemy tries to bring your way? You have the God of this world who has already defeated the enemy. And stripped him of his powers. Stripped him of it. Disarmed him. That's the God that is on our side. The God who just said, let there be and there was. The God who created light before he created the sun. That's the God that we serve. And he's with us. And it's time that we probably need to lift our heads up a little bit, connect with him and realize we are stronger because of God. That greater is he that's within us than he that is in the world. And when we fall apart and get, get all worked up and anxious over the world we live in, then we're not aware that the greater one is with us. The world doesn't have the greater one. We do. If anybody should have their head up uh, walking with joy and hope and peace and strength, it should be the ones who know we win. We win. We've already won the greater one who no one can defeat, no demon in hell can defeat. He's already victorious. He's already better. He's already stronger. And his bigness doesn't even compare how big he really is because we can't even imagine and fully comprehend how big God is. And he's on our side. And if we pray and connect, then we're going to realize that, hey, we're in the presence of God. Peter was in the presence of this angel of the Lord, and he's setting him free. And it started with the church praying. Let's go to the next one. Prayer sets you free from bondage. So it says when the angel showed up, he told Peter to get up. And when Peter got up, his, the things that had him bound fell off. The chains that were on his wrist, they fell off. Think about this. He's changed to guards. Okay, he's chained. He's got guards all around him. And he just gets up. And he exp- I imagine, I just try to visualize, I imagine he thinks when I get up, I'm going to wake these guards up. I'm going to pull their arms up when I get up. But he just gets up and they fall off. He's no longer bound. Why? Because he's free. Why? Because he's in the presence of God. And God sets him free from what had him bound. Now here's the part that I want us to kind of talk about for a second here. Listen, God wants you free. And we all have these areas that that we still find ourselves a little bit bound by something at times. Sometimes it's fear. And fear has a a hold on you and it has a grip on you. Maybe it's an addiction of some kind. But something that you, you just struggle getting free from. I want you to know prayer will change that. Prayer will change that. Prayer will result in showing the presence of God with you and then that strength now becomes available to you. And then we read this several times over the last months that in our weakness, his strength is perfect. And if we recognize we have God with us and we're in his presence, then we know we can tap into his, his strength when we're weak and what we can't do, we can do with him because he's strong when we're weak. That's when his strength works the best. So what are the things, think about it. What are the things that have you bound? What are the things that you struggled just really getting free from? And you know what some of it is? You know, we look at, oh, man, it's, it's drugs and alcohol and pornography and all these, we'll go all these extreme bad things, and they are bad. But you know what I think the church as a whole struggles with? Complacency just being satisfied where we're at, not growing anymore. And as long as the ruffles don't affect us personally, hey, we're fine. And we go on with this shallow walk with God. We never want to really dig too deep because, well, it, something's going to have to change if I do. We want, to, we want to have a little bit here, but we also want to have a little bit here. And we have that balance of, you know, one foot in the world, one fit in the church. But you know what prayer will do? It'll set you free from that. Prayer will help you decide, you know what? I'm all in. But I'm really all in. I can't think of one believer that wouldn't tell you they're all in. But the lifestyle may. Because, you know, you you wanna you wanna be accepted over here, and you wanna be viewed as some weirdo. You know, But then over here, you, know, you, want, you don't want to be viewed like you don't love God. So sometimes we're out there during the week living that way. And then we're in here during the week living a whole other way. It happens. Now, don't get me wrong. We're righteous because of Jesus and righteous people fall. I'm not saying if you mess up then, oh, that's a, you know. What I'm saying is there is some willful decisions to live one way out there. And then live a different way in here. I did it when I was younger. I wanted to be cool in high school. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to live that life. But I was a pastor's kid. I, I didn't have an option to go to church. But I didn't want people to think I was bad. So I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm struggling here where my identity is not just here. But I'm trying to live a little bit of both worlds. And the Bible will help you. The Bible will help you get free from anything that, that has you bound. Anything. The Bible will set you free. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if you have the Spirit of the Lord in your life, then freedom is there. You have to choose to let the Spirit of the Lord lead you and set you free. Because sometimes I think, I want to see this visual picture of the Spirit trying to get stuff out. And we're still, oh, not that. Not that. You know, that's, I got that from my family. It's important to me. My whole family struggles with that. I want to hold on to that. It's who I am. It's who I am. Because that was my family. And so instead of thinking we can change that, we just accept it as part of us. Well, they were like that, and they were like that, so I'm like that. Well, let me just tell you, just because mama was like that, just because papa was like that, just because grandma and grandpa were like that, that doesn't mean you have to struggle with it. God can set you free. And he can can break that curse off of you. Just like that. With the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. John 8, 36 says this, that when the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. It means this, you're really free. You're really free. Live free. Live like you're free from that. Galatians 5, 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, there's things that God has set us free, and we have to be careful not to go back. Not to go back to those things because our natural tendencies is the things of the flesh. That's what our natural tendency is because that's the thing, you know, we're human and we have these human tendencies and if we don't continue to give ourselves over to the Lord and connect with God on a consistent basis, we're going to find ourselves drifting back to the same old stuff and I know people who've been set free and then they've gone back and they've been set free and then they go back. The Bible wants to set us free and keep us free. That's what God wants for us. And it's only going to happen through prayer. Prayer also helps you become a better Christ follower. I thought it was interesting when I was reading this is the angel said, okay, listen, I want you to get up and I want you to follow me. He wasn't like, do what you think, whatever you think you should do. Hey, you're free now, whatever you feel like you should do. Listen, there was only one way Peter was going to get out of there, and it was to follow the leading of the Lord. And for us, there is, okay, business people, please don't get all worked up about this. Don't send me an email because I won't return it. But there is too much about leadership. There are leadership conferences everywhere. There's, you know, be a better leader, be a better leader, be a better leader. I want to be a better leader. Help me lead better, lead better. Read a book about leadership. If you want to lead, you got to read. There's all these little things, right? Nothing wrong with it. But the greatest thing you can do is follow. If you can't be a follower, you'll never be a good leader. The best leaders I know are ones who are following. And even Paul said, listen, you follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, I'm a follower, you're a follower. Wouldn't you like to be a follower too? What is that from? A Dr. Pepper commercial, I think? I don't know why that came up. That was powerful. Um, But listen... Paul said that he didn't say, listen, as I lead, as God leads me, I'll lead you. No. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, if you're following me, so if I'm leading you, it's only because of who I'm following. And if I don't follow him, then you don't follow me. And I will tell every one of you at this church, if there's ever a day where I'm not following God, do not follow me. I never plan on doing that, but if I ever mess up and miss the mark, if anything, you follow God, and you follow people who are following God. The world's searching for these, you know, and and listen, there's nothing wrong with different leadership styles and all that, but I can tell you the kind of leader I want is someone who's following God 100%. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure, listen, God has called us to follow him. Not him follow us. God, come on, I want to show you what I'm going to do. No. God, what do you want me to do? And we live our life sometimes that we want to do our thing and bring God in it. And we'll we'll even justify like, you know, I'm convinced when we get to heaven, God's going to say some of that stuff that you said was me was not me. Now, he's not going to say that because we're not going to care we're in heaven. We don't even care what happened here. Once we're up there, this is we're not even going to think about this place. But I'm convinced that there's a lot of, you know, well, it's what the Lord led me to do. Actually, it's what you wanted to do, and you put the Lord's name on it so you feel better. I've done that. Not intentionally, but there were times I thought, oh, yeah, I think this is God. And it was me. Listen, I was convinced the Lord was sending me to the FBI. I was like, Lord, I, I received that calling. Yes! And it wasn't later I realized, okay, that that was my desire for a long time. And God, you just come on up and actually tell me really what you want me to do. But you know what? I was convinced at an early age that's what God had for me. But you know why? Because that's what I wanted. Now, I got over that because I'm happier today than I've ever been with what I'm doing. I love, I love ministry. I love my life. I loved being a pastor. I loved being a youth pastor when I was doing that. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I know in my mind when I first started, I really thought God was leading me somewhere. And it was just me saying, God, you know, come on. You know. Come on. Come with me. This is what I've called us to do. Right? But what is God saying? Can you honestly look at your life and say, what I'm doing right now is what the Lord is leading me to do? That's the question we have to ask. Is this what the Lord is leading me to do? Look at these scriptures in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said, if if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to turn away from what we think. He wants us to turn away from all that. He doesn't want us to think about it. He wants us to follow him. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So when we're led, we're sons of God. We follow. We follow. Right? Listen, I'm giving you a a fellowship conference right here. We follow. That's what we do. We follow. All right? Look at the next verse. In John 10, 27, Jesus says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. What do sheep do? What does, when Jesus is talking about my sheep, followers of Jesus, you know what they do? They, they know his voice. They listen to it. They know he knows us. And here's what we do. We follow him. So if you're a child of God, then you should be following God. Not having God follow you, but follow God. What is he saying? Live your life every day. Say, Lord, what I'm doing right now, is this, is this what you're wanting me to do? Are you leading me? And pray that prayer. And be ready for an answer. Because my sheep hear my voice. He'll tell you. He'll say, actually, uh, no, that's not me. And he'll nicely get you back on track. Just like GPS does. If you go off, it'll bring you back. We learned that on our trip. All right? So listen, be a Christ follower. Be one who's more concerned about following someone than you are about leading someone. Okay, You don't don't always have to be the leader. We don't always have to be in charge of everything or in charge of our life. Let's let God lead us. He'll take us to the places we can never get on our own. Prayer helps you even when people are against you. One of the great things about this story is here's Peter, and he's chained up to these guards, and the guards are supposed to keep him confined. That's what the guards were there for—to keep him bound, to keep him locked up, to keep him confined from from getting out. Because earlier in Acts, Peter Peter escaped from prison. It already happened once, but different. So now he's he's here, and and, and they have these guards around him, and. Even with all of the guards, all the people who were there to keep him confined, Peter still got free. Now, I don't mean this in any negative way towards people. But I will tell you, there are people that you know probably that are not for you. That don't always believe the best about you. There are people who think you should be doing something different than the way you're doing it. And maybe sometimes you should. But maybe there's times where you're doing what God's called you to do and they don't understand, and they think it's crazy and they're trying to get you to do something different and it's not always with a bad intention, sometimes their intent might be good to try to help you, but there are people that aren't going to be for you in life. they'll say things like, oh, you can never do that listen i when i when i when I started letting people know once the Lord Called us to plan a church and <clears throat> I met with a couple of church planners and I was like, you know, I remember thinking of myself, there's no way I can plant a church. I, I, don't, even, I don't even know how. And I remember people that thought, oh, bro, that, that's not you. I'm like, thank you so much. But I, I just remember there's people that, not out of anything bad, they were just like, man, I, I don't know that I see you doing that. You know, you're a youth guy, or you're this, or you're that. But we have to sometimes look past like, okay, well, they don't they don't think I can do that. But listen, we're not, we're not, we don't live our lives to please people. We live our lives to please God. And if you please God, you will please the right people. So it's not an excuse to just tick people off. Well, I'm not here to please you anyway. That's not it. If you please God, you're going to please the right people. But the Lord will, he'll really sincerely help you to do things even when other people don't believe in you. If I was to ask right now, and don't raise your hands. but If I was to ask, how many of you right now, you know there's at least one person, then don't raise your hand. There's one person that you know, that you can think of right now that doesn't believe in you. That you can really achieve everything God's called you to do. That person might be you. You might not believe in you. But God is saying, listen, there's. you can do way more. With God, you can do way more. People can't keep you bound. They tried. They couldn't keep them bound. Look at this passage in, Matthew, uh, or in uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, even if people say I can't, God says you can. If God says you can do it, then it doesn't matter if everyone around you says you can't. You can do it. That's what his word says. You can do it with God. With God, all things are possible. If you're doing something without God, there's no guarantee. It's not possible. But with God, you can do it. You can you listen, you can do anything God tells you to do. Anything. If everybody in the world is against you, but God is for you, you can do it. Because God will strengthen you. There's a, I put in your notes, 1 Samuel 16 and 17, you can read it, but I love this story. Here's David, okay, he's, you know, he's a little shepherd boy at this time. Samuel comes to his dad, comes to Jesse, and says, listen, one of your sons I'm here to anoint as the next king. So, so Jesse gets all of his sons, and he lines them up in front of Samuel, and Samuel's praying to see, Lord, which one, which one is it? Which one have you anointed? And he goes to the first one, he's like, oh, this must be him. He's strong, he's handsome, he's, I mean, he just looks like a king. So he's going by just outward appearance. And everybody's thinking it's the the firstborn, it's the oldest. Samuel says, it's not him. And he goes down the line, he keeps going, he gets all the way to the end. And he, he looks at Jesse and says, it's... It's none of these. And Jesse says, "Oh, oh, there is one more. He's he's watching the sheep." Now I'm not I'm not saying that it was intentional, but imagine being David. And you hear like one of my sons is going to be the king. Get all your sons up. Well, why didn't he get David? Right? If I'm David, I'm like, oh, I see, I see how you are, Dad. You don't think I can do it? I mean, here he is. His own father doesn't even think it's him. So don't get David. Just It's probably one of y'all. And here's David, one of his sons, that his dad doesn't even necessarily think it's him. So just leave him there. Can you imagine the rejection that could have brought on David? The hurt that could have brought on David? So they go get David. And here comes David, you know, little shepherd boy coming up. Sheep stuff all over him, just a little dirty probably, smelly. And Samuel says, That's him. Imagine Jesse, like, oh sorry, Dave. I didn't I would I didn't even are You kidding me, David? So here's David at a time. His his dad doesn't even believe in him. Now let's fast forward when you get into further into 16 and into 17. Now Goliath's coming. Uh Goliath on the scene. David's, Jesse sends David to go take some food to his brothers, and he goes to take food to his brothers, and he sees Goliath, and he sees he's talking trash about God, and he's he's bringing all this havoc and fear everywhere, and and he's like, you know, and David's like, somebody needs to go out there. I'll I'll go out there, little David. And his brothers like, bro, you need to head on home, little man. This this ain't a battle you can handle. You need to head on home. So here's David again, feeling like, you know what? Somebody needs to stand up for our God. Somebody needs to stand up against him. And his brothers are like, Dave, not you. Not you. Not you, buddy. You need to head home. Listen, you're, you're not a trained warrior. While the trained warriors are like, ah, here's shepherd boy. And his, and his brothers don't believe he can do anything. So he goes to the king, he goes to Saul and says, "Listen, uh I'll go out there cuz Goliath is saying, "Bring me someone." So he goes to Saul and he says, "Hey, I'll I'll go out there." And Saul says, "Uh you're you're just a little shepherd boy. Uh this ain't a battle for you." Now the now even the king is saying, "David, no." Okay, is this a joke? No. And then he finally, David finally says, listen, I'm going to go. And then he says this, okay, but you can't do it on your own, so use my armor. So now he's telling David, okay, the way you would do it, you're still going to need help. So use my armor. So then David says, I'm not using your armor. I got a slingshot, and I got Jesus. And he goes out. I'm paraphrasing this to try to move through it. But he goes out, and then Goliath starts, what am I? What am I, a dog you send this little kid out here? Like, what are you thinking? This guy, really? This is, this is your warrior? So think about David up to this point. His dad didn't think he could be king. His brothers don't think he can, he can slay a giant. The king doesn't think he has what it takes to fight Goliath. And even the enemy sees him as some little, small, insignificant thing. But you know, David got past every one of those. David didn't just go run and pout when, when Jesse didn't call him up. David didn't run away crying when his brother says, you can't do this. David didn't give up when the king said, well, you know, you're too little. And David didn't give up when the giant's looking at him making fun of him. He got past all of what people thought about him to do what God called him to do. And he got out there and he said, listen, the same God, because here's why he was strong, because he connected with God. And the same God that rescued me from the lion, when the lion came to tear the sheep up, and the same God that rescued me from the bear will also rescue me from this Philistine. And then David took his sling, bam, and took him out. He took out Goliath right there. Then he finished him off, he cut his, cut his head off, it was over. Done. Done. Little David was now a victorious warrior when no one else thought he could, but David knew he had God. Listen, it doesn't matter to me what people think about you. It doesn't even matter to me what people think about me. At the end of the day, I want to be faithful to what God has called me to do. And I want to I I see the miraculous, I want to see the power of God manifest. I want to see all kinds of things happen in my life. And, and if people don't believe in me, and people don't believe in you, it doesn't have to stop us. Because you know what, after David did that, oh, people believed in him. People believed in him. Listen, people will see. People will see that it's, it's real. The power of God is real. Don't let anybody stop you. Don't miss out on what God has. Well, they said, I didn't think I could do it. Well, who cares? What did God say? Now, on that note, let me, can I tell you the second word up here, which is what we're called to do? Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people that tell people they can't do something. Be an encourager. And if someone says, listen, God's called me to, you know, to pastor. God's called me to be on the mission field. God's called me to start a business. God's called me to do whatever. You know, we should come around and say, listen, man, if God's called you, bro, he's going to provide everything you need. He's going to take care of you. You're going to do awesome. Because God will give you everything you need to do it right. Because that's how he is. He'll never call you to do something without equipping you to do it. So you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. All right. Prayer opens doors for you. Acts sixteen, twenty six. This is when Paul and Silas are in prison. And they're chained. They're bound. They've just been beaten, severely beaten. And they're worshiping God. And they're praying. And they're singing. And it says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundation. And all the doors immediately flew open. Doors that were locked, doors that, that were strong to keep prisoners in, prayer, worship, got right through those doors, right through, God opens the doors. Revelation 3.8, <clears throat> John's talking, this revelation about uh, the church of Philadelphia, it says, I know the things you do and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. That no one can close. That's the kind of door. God can open doors for you and nobody can close it. Nobody can close it. And when the angel was leading Peter out, he went past the two different sets of guards and he gets to this iron gate that's supposed to keep you stop, keep you stop from experience everything on the other side. And those gates open by themselves. They open by themselves. And Peter walked through. And got to a place that they were trying to keep him away from. And he got there because of the power of prayer. Those gates opened right up. Those doors open right up. Listen, if God's called you to do something, listen, you need to be patient and trust God. Faith and patience inherit the promise. But the Bible says, listen, if you'll be patient, listen, God will open up the door for you. You're not going to have to go kicking and banging down. If you have to kick a door open, you ain't supposed to go through it yet. You wait on the Lord. He will open the door. when he opens it, nobody can shut it. When, when Moses came to the Red Sea, there was no path there. There was, but he didn't know. God knew. Psalm 77 said the pathway nobody knew was there, but God knew it was there. And all of a sudden, that opened, and that was his doorway. That was his way to, to escape the enemy. And when he got through, that, 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 the water is part of the entire time he went through. But when the enemy went to go through, that door closed. It it stopped the enemy. Listen, there's, there's doors that God has for you that if you will trust him and you'll spend time with him, he'll show you what they are, he'll lead you to them, and then he will open them. And when he opens them, listen, you walk through it. You walk through it. And that'll be a path that God has for you, and it's the path that he's called you on, and he's got wonderful things in store for you if you'll walk through that door. And nobody will be able to shut it. Nobody will be able to stop it. God will do that. God will do that. And then finally, prayer will produce things that will blow your mind. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above everything you could ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us. Listen, to, look at this verse. It would be great to do, do something uh, just what we ask or think. God, can you just do whatever I ask or think? And God says, actually, I can do above anything you could ask or think. Matter of fact, I can do abundantly above anything you can ask or think. And, and I, as a matter of fact, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. That's a lot. That's a lot. Exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. That's what God can do. And then look at this last scripture in Luke. He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. When Peter got through that, after the iron gate opens and he goes through, he stands there and he's like, wow, like this was real because he thought it was a vision because it was it was so miraculous it was so different it was so unhuman it was it wasn't just natural it was completely supernatural how this happened completely supernatural and he gets out of it and all of a sudden he's like whoa like that was real this is really true i've been set free I I really believe that this is what we're coming to. I believe if we will pray, and we will earnestly pray, that we will have those encounters and we say, wow, are you, wow, it really happened? It really happened? Why can't we pray for someone who's blind and say, wow, they saw? Why can't we pray for peace? wow, I have peace. Everything around me is crumbling. I have peace. When life is at its worst moment for you, and this peace rises up and this joy rises up, why can't we pray that when When your job makes uh, some changes and you lose your job and you're struggling and you're trying to find another one, you're doing your part, but the money's just not coming in and the bills are just piling up. Why can't we pray and why, why can't there be a, wow, how did that happen? You know why we don't have a lot of wow moments? Because we don't have a lot of earnest prayer moments. And I want to challenge you. That's what this whole thing is about. The last scripture, it's not in your notes, but 1 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in our circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. What's God's will? Yes, be joyful and be thankful. But in the middle of that, you know what God's will for you is? That you never stop praying. You never stop praying. It's time, more than ever, that we pray. And I'm committing to you right now that this is going to be a church that prays. And we will pray, and we will pray, and we will pray. We will pray for our country. We will pray for our leaders. I don't care who ends up being the next president. We will pray for them. Like the word tells us to. We will pray for one another. We will pray for those who need Jesus. We will pray for those here who are struggling and are hurting. We will pray for the sick. We will pray for the hurting. We will pray for those who are lost. We're going to pray. We're going to be a praying church. And we will be a church that experiences those wow moments of wow. It really, really happened. It really is true. Prayer works. Because if a church can pray and a long way away someone's bound and in trouble and looks like they're going to die in a matter of days and the church prays and everything changes, then why can't things change today if the church prays? We don't need thousands and thousands and thousands. Your one prayer is just as effective as everybody else's. And if you want to have peace on this earth, then you need to have peace with God. And you need to you need to connect with him more and more and more because the times are going to get worse but when this gets worse we rise up. We rise up to the top. Not on my watch will this place go down. Not on my watch will families be torn apart. We're praying. We're praying.